The Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta is the next leg of the run for salmon. The two-week ceremony is dedicated to reviving Central Valley Chinook salmon populations. The Winnemum Wintu and supporters want to identify all the obstacles, both environmental and political, on the fish's long migration route from ocean to mountain spawning grounds. So far, we've traveled for a few days by foot. This time, we'll be on a boat, moving through the delta. It's a series of channels and islands, part of a large estuary that starts in the San Francisco Bay and is formed from the meeting of two great rivers, the Sacramento and San Joaquin. In the early morning, a small crew gathers at a marina near the delta's western edge in a town called Pittsburgh. We're going up the, the uh, Sacramento River from the delta, and we're going to follow that all the way to Sacramento Discovery Park. Winnemum went to Chief Kalin Susk. We should be getting in there around 1.30 or 2. We're hundreds of miles from Winnemum Wintu homelands, but the health of this habitat is critical for salmon. It's part of an indigenous foodway, and it's highly stressed. We walk down the dock to board a small fishing boat with room for six. Do you know about the, all the levee work they're doing in Sacramento? I didn't know. Okay, you're going to be shocked. Really? When you see. Captain James Nutzel leads guided fishing tours and is passionate about salmon. He keeps an eye out for any changes on the river. The levee in South Sacramento on the West Sacramento side is trash. It, it's, it, they needed to replace it. So Chief Kellyn cares because for her, this is all salmon habitat. Yeah. All right, well, let's probably get going. Yeah. All right, let's I go. gotta remember how to get out of here. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> you remember how to drive this? Drive Pray that I got salmon sense. Yeah. I'll stick my nose in the water. From KALW's The Spiritual Edge, this is a prayer for salmon an audio documentary series about the Winnemum Wintu people and their clash with Northern California's Shasta Dam. I'm Judy Silber. Lila June, salmon, of course, were a staple for California coastal native communities. Your doctoral research explores all kinds of native foodways and ecosystems. I really look at indigenous food systems in pre-Columbian times, and the land management practices that upheld them, and the lessons that they can give us today to have more effective and regenerative food systems. So, for example, you know, in the Chesapeake Bay, indigenous peoples were harvesting oysters out of there for 10,000 years, we know, through archaeological records. Uh, and, of course, under American management, these oysters have disappeared in less than 300 years. We were not stupid Indians. We were not uh, nomads running around eating hand to mouth. We created anthropogenic systems. We architected abundance. We engineered systems that benefited not just humans, but all life around us. What happens when Native people can't manage the land in the way that they used to? Well, when you can't manage the land, let's take California, for example. Oak trees are actually, they, they developed a fire-resistant bark because native peoples had been burning these oak savannas for so many thousands of years that the oak evolved 
to withstand human fire. So let's say you take away this indigenous fire that was there for tens of thousands of years. You have overgrowth, you have brush come in, and they start to choke out these oaks, and you have a depleted soil systems. You have systems that became pyro-adapted, all of a sudden go into a state of shock. And that's actually what's going on throughout the continent. So what happens when indigenous people lose their authority, their ability to manage these systems? Well, just like the oak tree became adapted to humans, the humans became super adapted to the oak trees or whatever biosystem they're from. Like my people, we're very adapted to corn. If we don't have blue corn, our systems go into shock. And similarly, with native people in California, if they don't have salmon, their systems go into shock. You can be Winnemumwintu, but not be eating the things that make you Winnemumwintu. And as we see in the Winnemumwintu community, there's an epidemic of diabetes. And people will even say, oh, there's, you know, why aren't they more healthy? And it's like, you destroyed their food system. They're, they're eating, but they're not being fed. I ask people from India this all the time. I'm like, imagine if you could never eat Indian food again. And they just look at me like, I would die. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we go through. You know, and so when you have these salmon populations almost completely disappear, that's how it feels for California natives. Chapter six, the Delta, a habitat destroyed. Captain James Netzel steers the small boat out onto the water. The people on board will become quite chatty later, but for now, everyone is quiet. It's a spectacular feeling to be out on the hazy blue-gray water, but there's also a feeling of emptiness. Scientists tell me this unique habitat is probably one of the most altered places on the planet. Of the original 500,000 acres of freshwater tidal marsh, 98% of it is gone. We don't see much wildlife, just a few birds. The edges of this once meandering waterway are sharply defined, an indication of how much it's changed. I call it a channel instead of river because it's got levees on both sides of it. it makes it look like a big channel instead of a river because this should be a meandering river and it should be big and wide, but no, I guess they didn't like that. Once the Sacramento River was big, strong, and unpredictable, it would sometimes flood the entire Sacramento Valley to create a giant inland sea. Then, in the mid-1800s, Euro-American settlers recognized the valley and the area around the delta as valuable farmland. They piled peat and rocks on the banks to build the first levees. They drained the delta's marshland. They cut down trees like sycamore and maple and removed the tule, a reed important for birds and fish. Then, starting in the 1940s, the Central Valley Project began diverting water from the delta to farmers and cities further south. To understand how much the delta's landscape has changed, I met up with Letitia Grenier, a scientist with the San Francisco Estuary Institute. So you take a place that was this enormous, enormous wetland and you take 98% of it away. It's a totally different place now. She helps me imagine what it was like. 
the analogy I've used for it before is that it was the refrigerator of California. It was a place for everybody to come and eat because these marshes are super productive. And so you would have grizzly bears coming. There were tule elk that came, you know, wolves. And there were these incredible runs of salmon as well as other fish that are only found in the Delta. And there were some really amazing accounts of what the early European explorers found in terms of salmon. You know, as the salmon ran upstream, that they were literally like their backs were touching each other. Adult salmon heading upstream don't eat. They're focused on getting where they need to go to spawn. But juveniles need to bulk up. A young salmon that's big and fat is more likely to survive in the ocean. The Delta offered plenty of food. So there's algae in the water, phytoplankton, and then there's algae living on the mud at the bottom and living on the stalks of the plant. It's easy to eat and you get a lot of nutrition out of it. The Delta also offered lots of places where fish could hide or rest in what was an intricate water maze. If you think about it, we took a marsh that was kind of like the tissues in your body with the arteries and the capillaries and the blood going in and out. And what we did was kind of got rid of all the capillaries, but the big vessels are still there. And this is a big part of the reason why we see salmon doing so poorly. They're essentially running a gauntlet of high velocity water where there's nowhere to rest. There's a lot of predators and there's not that much food. On the boat, we continue upstream. Large wind turbines come into view on the left. To the right is farmland. All around us are signs that the demands of modern-day California are prioritized over the health of the Delta. On the other side of that bush is a, a warning sign. Chief Kalin points to a sign on a pole that rises from water near the river's left bank. Gary Thomas is here. He's a steady run for salmon presence every year. He reads the sign out loud. So we're saying warning, don't anchor or dredge, natural gas pipeline crossing. Pipelines are going under the river right here. See that red and white? That's what that is. CPN Pipeline Company, 877-432-5555. Between here and our final stop in Sacramento, more natural gas pipelines will cross beneath the water. As we continue on, we see oil rigs set up on land that's dry and stripped of most vegetation. According to a California Public Utilities Commission map, this part of the Sacramento River has over 100 active oil and gas wells. All of this infrastructure makes wetlands restoration difficult and expensive. Gary says after Standing Rock in 2016, where protesters questioned the safety of an oil pipeline, he also thinks about leaks. Everybody who has plumbing problems in their own home knows that every pipe will leak. On the run for salmon's first year, Gary was the one who noticed the pipelines and oil rigs. He tells me he used to work on a rig for Malcolm Drilling in South San Francisco. As the boat speeds up, we almost have to shout to be heard. Gary says one day he woke up to what he was doing. I kind of had an epiphany about destroying the earth, drilling in the, whole, in the earth. So it was kind of like, I don't think I should be doing this anymore. It was a conscious decision. Participating in the run for salmon has inspired Gary to consider his ancestral connections to Chinook salmon in Lake County, about 100 miles northeast from here. 
Restoration efforts have returned salmon to the lower part of a waterway called Puda Creek. When Gary heard about the fish there, he started to connect the dots. And then I realized that Puda Creek kind of went float all the way into Lake County, actually, and then um, started asking around. And a lot of the elders said, yeah, they were runs that one time when they were younger time, so. He tells me because he didn't grow up with salmon, he's had to work at developing a taste for the fish. At first, you know, because I didn't really have a taste for salmon, and then you realize uh, the diet we have nowadays. You know, we don't, we don't have that consistency of having salmon in our diet, so that was pretty, real disheartening. Removing salmon from the diets of indigenous people has had serious consequences. Karuk people in the far north of California have helped to document the harm. I spoke by Zoom with Karuk ceremonial leader, Ron Reed. My colonial name is Ron Reed, and my Karuk name is Mkaka. Karuk territory is in the Klamath River Basin, where salmon runs were once prolific. All of that changed in the course of Ron Reed's lifetime. I'm a traditional dip net fisherman. I used to fish for the ceremonies, for our elders, for our community. But more importantly, I used to fish for my family, my extended family. Now I'm unable to fish for my extended family, unable to fish for my family, unable to fish for the ceremonies, unable to fish for the elders, unable to fish for the community. That puts us the same situation as the Winneman went to right now. He and a University of Oregon professor teamed up to do some research. They collected data that indicated increases in diabetes and obesity and strains on mental health, all caused by the salmon's decline. What happened to his community gives Ron Reed empathy for other Native people who have experienced similar losses. I feel for the Winneman Wintu. I feel for other tribes up and down North America because they've been forcibly removed from their lifestyle and put in existence that we are less than human. For everyone on the fishing boat, pondering the state of salmon is painful. These waters once supported one of the most diverse and plentiful Chinook fisheries in the world. Captain Nussel tells me that even in his lifetime, the numbers of salmon on the Sacramento River have gone down. And we used to have 10 mile long schools. I mean, just 10 miles of fish from like here to Sacramento would just be solid line of fish going in. And now we got little pods of 50 or 60 fish. Chief Colleen says salmon shouldn't be so scarce. Really, we should have a paradigm shift where we are, the economy of California should be based on the salmon and not on GMO farming. When I first heard Chief Colleen say this, I was blown away. The California I grew up with is known for Silicon Valley technology and Central Valley produce. But before dams took over the state's major rivers and streams, we were a salmon state. Salmon could be found from the mountains to the sea. And so that's why we're saying, like, what are the effects of this waterway? And considering what could be done, you know, if people knew and if salmon were important enough, you know, what could we do?
You're listening to A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. This is an 11-part series. To hear the rest of it, search for The Spiritual Edge in any podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. Now back to the story. We're going to turn our engines off and we'll see which way the river takes us. Our small boat is approaching our final destination in the city of Sacramento. We're maybe 100 yards from the entrance to what's called the Delta Cross Channel. It's a channel that diverts water from the Sacramento River and sends it south and is an important example of the way water is routed away from the Delta. Captain Netzel turns off his motor. He has a point to prove that the channel can pull young salmon off their migration path. I'll tell you, 99% of the time, if there's no wind blowing blowing us the wrong direction, we'll get sucked into the channel. And we're a 23-foot boat. Think about a little salmon smolt that's an inch long. The Delta Cross Channel's gates aren't always open, but when they are, salmon can get sucked in from the force created by pumps. When this happens, the young juveniles never make it to the ocean. They never return to lay eggs and reproduce. It's one of the more controversial aspects of how the feds and state handle Sacramento and Delta waters. This water right here is being diverted. This, see the gates right there? They're up, and so that means the Delta pumps are on. So it's pulling water down this channel, and that's how the fish get uh, confused. Dan Bacher is another journalist on the boat. He says this is where California's water systems get really crazy. Aqueducts, canals, you know, um, pumps, uh, channels, um, gates. I mean, it's it's really complex. It is so complex you got to look at the map of of uh, the Central Valley project and all the different facilities. I mean, they take water from one river, they divert that, dry it up, then recharge that. I've done a lot of staring at those maps. The way human engineering reroutes the flow of water is mind-boggling. But the biggest takeaway is this. Today, only about 50% of water that should flow through the delta makes it out to the ocean. That's what's left to maintain this habitat and the San Francisco Bay. The rest goes to cities and farms. As we continue upstream, we see irrigation pipes casually plopped into the water. Also construction of new levees and an invasive plant that's choking tall trees that shade the water. All stresses on a river that's still home to salmon. Does it um, make you crazy that uh People do all this work to create what nature already knows how to do. Right, and it creates these, um, I don't know, people look at that as jobs, right? Those are people's jobs, to do all of that nonsense. And we're doing more destruction than we are doing help. We disembark at a dock in the city of Sacramento, 
the state capitol, and the place where so many of the current laws and regulations controlling this river got a start. A group of Winnemuwintu and Run for Salmon supporters greet us with a song. The song says they're getting ready to win, to win the battle to bring salmon back, to see them thrive again on the Sacramento River, to once again become part of the ecosystem on the McLeod River, where the Winnemuwintu's ancestors live. Chief Kellyn says they don't know how it will all turn out. But despite the obstacles they've observed on the boat, they have to play to win. Over the next few days, the Winnemuwintu will rest and then continue up the river on another boat. When this human journey gets hard, when bodies get tired or personalities collide, or when they realize how hard it will be to bring about change, Chief Kellyn reminds the group of the salmon's travails. From ocean to spawning grounds, they swim hundreds of miles. They navigate the natural and human-made obstacles. They expend all their energy so their progeny can repeat the cycle of life. They never give up, she says. The run for salmon is only two weeks. But during the rest of the year, Chief Kellyn is still thinking about the fish. Like on this fall day, when she's traveled 80 miles to visit a nondescript meeting room where decisions about water get made. These contractors, I think, are across the board, irrigation contractors. And so this Reclamation Reform Act term on page 31, uh, paragraph 26 of your exhibit, that would stay. Uh, no changes there. In the small town of Willows, about halfway between the Bay Area and Redding, sits the Tehama-Kalusa Canal Authority. In a public meeting, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation and Irrigation Districts are finalizing contracts for water that flows out of Shasta Dam. On uh, paragraph 27, just to note that most of these guys are local governments with the exception of the Mutual Water Company, and so um, we'll see some differences across the system there according to that. Bureau of Reclamation officials and irrigation district attorneys sit at white folding tables arranged in a U-shape. In the audience are about a dozen district representatives, and Chief Kalin, and me. We are the only members of the public. This meeting is mostly procedural, but Chief Kalin has come to learn what she can. We are hoping to get the contractors specific version back to each and within 30 days. Um, I, I don't think that there's really any language left to discuss unless others feel that there is. So let's, Jeff, would like to take a quick caucus and we'll... Okay. Chief Kalin and I are told we have to leave while district officials and attorneys meet. Sorry, I had anticipated needing two different areas. We're escorted into a small room down the hallway where we look over papers handed out during the meeting. All right, and pardon then, the inconvenience. And you'll, you'll let us know. <laughs> I'll come back and... You yeah. won't forget us. Thank <laughs> you. <sighs> it's too much. I mean, how can you follow all of this? And how can you, you know, stand up for the salmon if you don't really understand the whole process? The contracts being finalized today will set up water deliveries to irrigation districts in the Sacramento Valley. It's hard to even, I mean, they don't really care about Shasta Dam. They just care about that canal. 
coming from the Sacramento River that, you know, there's no fish in the canal. <laughs> so they don't really worry about, you know, the fish, the flows for the fish as long as they have flows in their canals. Yeah. About 20 minutes pass and a guy from the irrigation district knocks to tell us the meeting will resume. As we walk back, we cross paths with Don Bader, area manager of the Northern California region of the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Could I talk to you after the meeting, I ask him. I want to ask about the Bureau's response when the Winnemuwintu protested at the Shasta Dam Visitor Center several months ago. No comment, he says, and keeps walking. Back in the meeting, the lawyers wrap up. We do have a, oh, sorry. We do have an opportunity for the, any comments. Oh, yeah. Don Bader says now is the time if any members of the public want to speak. Well, I, I do have a comment on... on uh, From the sidewall where we sit, Chief Colleen stands up. Yeah, I'm Colleen Sisk. I'm the chief of the Winnemuwintu tribe of uh, McLeod River. It's which where this water comes from. And we are very concerned about the restoration of salmon uh, coming up to our river again, and also the salmon in the Sacramento River. I just wanted to be here and let you all know that uh, the salmon are still important, not just because they're a food or a fish, but they're important to water. Chief Colleen is saying that salmon play an important role in the health of California's waterways. As a keystone species, it has an outsized impact on the ecology where it lives. I'm just here to say, you know, I, I hope that maybe some of you, maybe not this year, but maybe it coming up that things can change, that we can move towards protecting the water a little better. Then she takes the opportunity to bring up another long-standing hurt, the lack of adequate protection for Native American cultural resources in California. Every time something is taken away, you're re erasing the fact that we were here. I'm hoping that, you know, the water districts, that you'll, you'll put something in there that protects the, the villages and the sites and, and the remains. A lot, of, a lot of people lived here before the state became a state. So thank you guys. Thank you. Oh. The meeting ends. No one comments on what she said. All right. Uh, I'll conclude our session here with TC contractors, and then you're free to leave. After the meeting, it occurs to me that the bureaucracy we've just observed is a legacy of policies started in the mid-1800s. American settlers to California established governments and laws that supported genocide, slavery, indenture, claimed title to their land, and otherwise treated Native people as inferior. They had little to no rights to protect cultural resources. For tribes like the Winnemuwintu, this erasure continues. The government continues on, holding meetings and issuing contracts as if their concerns do not exist. On the next chapter of A Prayer for Salmon, we peel back the layers of history. We reveal how Northern California land was cleared of plants and animals, and Native people were forcibly removed. Everybody wants to play a blind eye and sit back and listen to the propagandized history of, of this continent. That's on the next episode of A Prayer for Salmon, 
from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. The music you're listening to is In the River by Ray Zaragoza. A Prayer for Salmon is a project of The Spiritual Edge at KALW Public Radio. To hear the rest of the series, look for The Spiritual Edge in your podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. That's also where we have beautiful photos from the series. I'm Judy Silber. Thanks for listening. In the river is our sisters and our brothers. We are camping out for each other. stronger when we bend together and we're standing up for the water but don't poison the future away you've got have a soul native voice one the native american radio network